pleasure to be with you all today, once again back in our study of 1 John. With that being said, let's go ahead and open up our text to 1 John chapter 4. We find ourselves studying an incredibly important topic today, that of discernment. And in that study, we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And so let us begin by reading that text this morning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of whom you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As we go through this text today, we are examining a skill that is incredibly important and one that should not be all too unfamiliar to any of us. For it's a skill that has ultimately really begun in our childhood years. It's the ability to understand what is being taught to us. There are many things that we learn in school growing up, many facts we have to memorize for any number of tests that aren't necessarily all that important, let's face it. I'm not going to name any of those skills because I know there are some teachers amongst us that would probably disagree. But one skill, that which we speak of today that is very important, falls under the childhood education of reading comprehension. Many of you, no doubt, remember being tested on your reading comprehension. Some of you students here this morning have been tested on it, perhaps even recently. For those of you who forget, reading comprehension is that ability to process a text, understand its meaning, and integrate it with that which you already know to be true. It's a pretty important part of SAT, ACT, other college entrance exams. And it's that ability to read something and basically understand what the author is communicating. As a child and as a junior high student, I was taught that when taking tests that test my reading comprehension, the most important thing to do was not begin with the text, but actually skip ahead and read the questions first. Many of you no doubt learned the same thing. The idea being that as we read those questions first, our brains will then be keyed in on key phrases, important facts that we can look for so that we can then remember those things to, to take the test more effectively. It was an important testing skill to pick up on as a kid, and even as adults, as we administer or work out our faith daily, that same skill is essential. That ability to properly interpret the texts, the narratives that are being thrown at us. The ability to not only understand what is being said, but the ability to then compare it with what we already know to be true and then see what fits, what is true, what is false. As we look at our text today in 1 John chapter 4, we are reminded of why this skill is so important. That is to say, why this test is so important. And my prayer is that as we examine verses 1 through 6 of 1 John chapter 4, we might see that this test at its root really can be boiled down to two very simple questions. Questions that every single one of us in here can ask and questions that every single believer in here can easily answer. As such, my prayer this morning is that we might all be encouraged by the fact that regardless of how confusing of a time we might live in, the truth of God is plain and it is very simple it's that truth of the gospel. 
as we administer this test daily, then my prayer is that we might avoid the common pitfalls that were common in John's day and common in ours, that we might prove ourselves to be truly wise and able to do that which is commanded of us. That being said, let's go and open our time in a word of prayer and pray that my phone doesn't go off again. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you for today. God, we thank you for the fact that despite all distractions, that you brought us together for one very clear purpose. That is to bring glory to your name. God, we thank you for the fact you brought us here. We thank you for giving us safety in arriving here today. We thank you for the many others who are watching online, joining us online. Thank you for that technology. And God, as we begin our time this morning, I pray that you remove all distractions from us, God. God, we live in a world that is full of distractions, full of tremendous confusion. In the midst of that confusion, it can be very difficult to understand what is truth. It can be very confusing as to understand where you are at work and where the world is simply trying to deceive us. But I pray, God, that as we look at 1 John today, we might be reminded of the simplicity of the test set before us. Might we understand the need for that test? And as we apply it daily, Lord, might, be, might we be wise to remember the key questions that we are looking for in our daily communication? God, for anyone who is here who does not know you, who has given into a lie, a deceitful practice, God, I pray for their salvation. I pray that you cause the truth of the gospel to be clear to them today in a way that it never has been before. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, might this morning be truly encouraging. Might it be spent in a way that is edifying to all of us. And of course, most importantly, might it be spent in a way that is glorifying to you. We love you so much, God. And we thank you for all you continue to do for us. Be with us now, we pray. And we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As we begin looking at our text, we begin with this first basic point, one that I think most of us understand already, that point being the need for this testing. Look again with me at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John, having already spoken of the work of the Holy Spirit, says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If you were here with us last week, you will recall that at the end of of chapter 3, as John has discussed the assurance of salvation we can have as believers, he based much of that assurance in the work of the Holy Spirit. It is that Holy Spirit who gives us truth, that Holy Spirit who gives us life, it's that Holy Spirit who gives us that confidence and really that encouragement day in and day out. This is a great blessing to all of us who are Christians, to have that, that unchanging rock in our life. And yet as confident as we might be as a result, you can also understand how easily confused believers might be as well. For in John's day, there were many people who claimed to have that same confidence. In fact, there were many professing believers that claimed to have that same spirit. And so if you were in John's day, you were surrounded not just by genuine believers, genuine converts who had the genuine Holy Spirit in their their lives, but you also had many other false teachers. Many false converts who would assure you that they too have the same spirit of truth. They too believe in the gospel. They just have been given an extra bit of truth. And in response to this, as a believer, you can easily become confused as to know which of these converts are real. Which of these teachers are true and which of these are false. How can we possibly know who has the real spirit versus the spirit of the world? It was a confusing time that John's believers lived in. And it's no less confusing in our own day, is it? 
For we live in a day in which I would argue there are exponentially greater opportunities for us to fall into false teaching. We do not just need to worry about the people sitting next to us or the people that live in our community. We live in a world that, thanks to digital technology, it gives us a limitless supply of sermons, articles, journal entries, books. You name it, you can have it with the swipe of a finger. And many of those things are helpful. There are many sermons you could listen to today that are exponentially better than what I'm about to give you, I'm sure. There are many articles that are written by godly men and women who are there to really help you and encourage you. But there are many, many, many others who are not that good-hearted. Many other false teachers, many other false comforts who claim the name of Christ and yet know nothing of Him, know nothing of the gospel. And so while we live in a very different time than John's audience did, we live in a time that is just as confused. And like the people in John's day, we face two common pitfalls, two bad responses to this confusion. The first bad response that the believers in John's day seemed to be falling into was this response of gullibility. As John writes, it is clear that, that many of his believers were too quick to just accept and believe anything and everything that these false teachers were saying. They did not do so because they were foolish or immature. They did so well because these people claimed to know Christ. And so, who are they to judge? Who are they to question? And it's clear that John is concerned about this gullibility. He's concerned about this lack of discernment, this lack of ability to compare what they're saying with the truth of the word. This pitfall is around us all the time today as well, isn't it? There are many Christians that while they would not consider themselves to be, are gullible. Let's face it. I referenced the internet earlier. How many of us have heard a fellow believer say, well, I read online that, dot, dot, dot. And I'm not here to tell you that nothing you read online is true. But I'm going to tell you that if you begin a sentence with, well, I read online, I'm probably going to discount whatever it is you're about to tell me. Because there's just a lot of lies out there. And it doesn't matter where you read it online if it doesn't line up with the truth. You simply cannot believe something simply because it claims to come from a source of authority. But many people do that. Many believers in our world today operate under the assumption that if you claim to be of Christ, then you must be of Christ. And so many Christians today, just like in John's day, are a bit too gullible and fall into that pitfall of believing and accepting everything. At the same time, however, there is that other end of extremes. There are many believers who, instead of being gullible, really fall into this pit of cynicism. Unlike those who are gullible, there are these other Christians who, instead of believing everything, will reject everything. They will mock anything that they disagree with, assuming they already have everything figured out. And while they might appear to be confident in their beliefs, while they may be able to even be able to quote a few Bible verses here and there, the willingness to either believe everything or reject everything is both an immature response. And it fails to live up to the testing that John commands. Regardless of how long you've been in the faith believer, you are never called to simply passively sit back and accept everything or passively sit back and reject everything. You are called to be active in responding to everything you hear taught everything you're reading, every message you are receiving. That activity is summarized in this first verse, that activity of testing every spirit. The Apostle Paul speaks of the same calling in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he tells believers to test everything. This is a daily discipline of the believer. And the skill that is attached to this test is that skill of discernment. 
This is a word you hear thrown around a lot today. I fear oftentimes it is misused and misapplied. But at its root, discernment simply speaks of that ability to understand and apply God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error. In other words, it's very similar to that reading comprehension test that many of us took as children. It's that ability to read a text, to hear a belief, to read an article, to understand what's being said, and then being able to pick out what is true and what is false. In light of the great confusion that the people of God face in John's day, and in light of the incredible confusion we see today, this skill is essential. For without it, we will either be prone to being gullible and accepting that which is false, or we will be prone to a sort of cynicism in which our growth still is stunted, in which we're refusing to admit when we've been wrong and where we need to grow. And so in order to make sure that we are headed down the right path, in order to make sure that we are continuing to grow in our maturity as believers, it's essential that we actively administer this test daily. Now in the course of growing in our discernment, there are many questions that we could ask the world. But as we look at the text before us this morning, there are only two real questions that John is concerned about. Two questions that really boil everything down to perhaps the most important aspects. Both of which you and I can ask every single day, and both of which have incredibly practical ramifications in our daily lives as believers. The first question is the question of who is Christ? This is a question of the message that is being taught to us. You see this question detailed in verses 2 through 3 of 1 John chapter 4. Follow along with me as we once again read this first question. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard is already coming and now is already in the world. When we're trying to figure out what is the work of the Holy Spirit versus the work of the Spirit of the world, this is always the starting point. Who does this person claim Jesus Christ is? And according to John, there really only are two responses, two answers we can find. The first answer, that correct answer, is again found in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is from God doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? This believer is how you know whether or not a a teacher is true. What do they say about Jesus? If they claim that Jesus is in fact fully God and fully man, the Son of God who who came to the world to take away our sins, if they correctly acknowledge his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and they attach that to the gospel, then John says, well, this is the work of the Spirit. For no one can understand this to be true apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. There's good reason why John would attach that message to the work of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus Christ himself promised this would be one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit when he would be sent. To see this promise, turn back with me, if you will, to John chapter 16. The last few weeks we've read quite a bit from John 14 through 16. For good reason, because throughout 1 John, John is referencing and quoting this passage directly. As we think of the Spirit's role in revealing truth, look with me, if you will, at John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. 
There, Jesus speaking to his disciples says this. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, that is the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father have are mine, therefore I said to you that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Here we see this key work of the Holy Spirit, the same work that Jesus spoke of earlier in John chapter 14, verse 26. In both passages, Jesus speaks of that role of the Holy Spirit to guide the disciples in teachings of truth. Particularly in teachings of truth that revolve around the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is used to describe all sorts of bizarre activities in our world today. And many people associate the Holy Spirit only with with kind of odd fringe activities or new words of revelation. But the problem with that is when we look at Scripture and really see how the Holy Spirit works, and we see the sort of proclamation that, that the Holy Spirit makes, we see it's almost always revolving around this proclamation of the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit's greatest concern, to make much of Christ. And so if, anyone professes some message that suggests that Jesus is less than the incarnate Son of God, they are false teachers. They are failing to present the proclamation that is clearly from the Holy Spirit. As 1 John has made clear throughout the book of 1 John already, this is the clear work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He comes and he brings us life. He comes and he resides in us and makes us more and more like the Son. And he comes to reveal this truth, to confirm this truth regarding the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. This is the one true answer. Every other answer that falls short of it is false. And it's of the world. This is vitally important for the people in John's day to understand because as we've said, the false teaching that was taking hold of that church was really characterized by this false picture of Christ. As we've said in weeks past, these false teachers were suggesting that Jesus wasn't really fully God and fully man. They were attempting to divide Christ in two. They were attempting really to reject his humanity. As a result, they were rejecting the atonement, his death, burial, and resurrection, and all that comes with it. These false teachers did this because this would have been more palpable in their culture far more attractive, far sweeter, far easier to digest. But as John says, this is a false truth. This is a false Christ. In our own world today, the same danger is all around us. There are many people that speak of Christ. They will speak of the name of Jesus. But when you really get down into what they are presenting, you'll see that they aren't speaking of of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, our Master, our Lord, They're speaking of Jesus Christ, a good example to follow. Jesus Christ is a great picture of love. Jesus Christ, who is a great example of humility. And those things are good, but they fall so far short of what qualifies as true gospel proclamation. And so regardless of the teacher you are hearing, regardless of the source that you are seeking out, the most important question you have to ask of them is, who do they say Christ is? And so when they speak the name of Jesus, your ears should perk up and you should think, okay, what are they saying here? What is this suggesting about the work of Christ? Is he the Son of God or is he anything less? 
This is incredibly helpful to us and reveals just the practical use of discernment in our daily lives, both as we defend the faith as well as when we spread the faith. It's important to understand that just like the days of John, we still must actively defend the faith, which means we must be on guard for these false messages, for these false teachers. And what John helps us realize and understand here in 1 John chapter 4 is these false teachers will primarily be marked by a false Christ. This is so important because oftentimes you hear this term false teacher thrown out far too liberally in our culture today. I've heard many people refer to other teachers as false teachers at the drop of a hat, as if a different view on baptism somehow makes them a false teacher. It doesn't. As if a different view on any church polity makes them a false teacher. It does not. As if a different view of politics makes them a false teacher. It does not. Now, when we try to label someone a false teacher and we're on guard against false teaching, we must practice discernment, and as such, we must practice that which President of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Al Mohler, calls theological triage. It's this ability to hear of different doctrines being taught and understand and recognize what is first-level importance, what is second-level, and what is third-level. Those first-level of importance are the, the theologies, the doctrines that are essential to the gospel, the deity of Christ, the atonement of Christ. You get into the second and third level, and you get into differences of opinion regarding church polity, regarding the role of women in the church, regarding baptism, regarding a number of things, and those things are important, but they're not the gospel. Now, if we're to defend ourselves against false teachers, we must be able to rightly understand who a false teacher is. And this is very important for us, because if we ignore this, we really open ourselves up to constant confusion and exhaustion. And we can easily let other false teachers slip in under the radar. It's important to understand, then, the, the simplistic understanding of false teaching in First John as we defend ourselves, as we defend the faith. It's equally important also when we seek to spread the faith of the world around us. Again, in the midst of having conversations about our doctrine with, with unbelievers, it's easy to get sidetracked by these other issues, by these side debates. I can think of all my experiences of meeting with LDS missionaries. If you've ever met with an LDS missionary, you know how easy this is. They'll want to debate you on a number of topics related to their history, related to other doctrines. They do not, however, want you to pin them down on who they say Jesus Christ is. And it's easy to go off on these other tangents, and they're valuable things to talk about, but if you ignore that primary issue of who is Jesus Christ, well, then there's no point in discussing it, is there? And so as we spread our faith, this discernment is also very important, for it's a reminder of what we are trying to win people to. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not trying to win people over to a belief in our view of baptism. We're trying to win people into the kingdom of heaven. And if they do not have the right Christ as he's presented in scripture, there's no hope for their entrance. And so as we practice this discernment, it's essential that we always keep this first question in mind. This question of who is Jesus Christ? Who do they say Christ is? Who do I say he is? And most importantly, of course, who does the Holy Spirit reveal him to be? If we can keep our eyes and our minds focused on that very particular point, we can save ourselves from so much unnecessary dispute and division. And we can successfully guard ourselves against falling into that trap of false teaching. But of course, even when we do this successfully, there's still this remaining question that John's believers and believers today still must have. It's that question of, well, if it is that obvious... 
If it is that simple, why are there so many people following after these false teachers? Why are false teachers so incredibly successful? To answer that second question, we ask our second question, which does not concern the teacher so much as it does the following. The question is, who is following this message? Follow along with me, if you will, in verses 4 through 6 of 1 John. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here we see a second and incredibly helpful question. Again, the question being, who is following after these messages? And again, much like the question regarding who is Christ, we see really only two possible answers to the second question. The first answer, the answer we're really seeking, is that idea of, of the church, the followers of truth. Again, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Again, try to put yourselves in the shoes of these early believers. Try to appreciate just how confused and how tempted they might be to leave the church behind. If you're here, you sit in the days of 1 John and in the early church. Here you were part of a thriving Christian community. Here you were beginning to suffer persecution and yet you, you see all around you those who once professed faith in Jesus Christ kind of scurrying about fleeing the church. And you no doubt in the early days see them as also escaping persecution. For they profess things that are far better, far more attractive to the world. And if you're in that scene, it's easy to ask, why, why don't I get it? Why can't I see it? Why can't I not just go after them? Same question many believers can ask today. I was a youth pastor for seven years and I regularly spoke as empathetically as I could with those young believers in my youth group and, and honestly tell them, and as I honestly tell you young believers today, I, I'm sorrowful for the world you're growing up in. For you're growing up in a world that is increasingly hostile to the, the Christian faith. And you will increasingly be seen as bizarre and foolish for holding to beliefs that are seen as bigoted, as outdated, as old-fashioned. And as such, you do not have an easy task ahead of you. And so many young people amongst us no doubt feel that draw. And they ask themselves, well, why can't we go after them? Why are so many others following after these false narratives? The reason for that, John says, is, well, we stay true because we're followers of Christ. And again, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Once more, turn with me back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus very clearly told his believers this would happen. In John chapter 10, as Jesus is being questioned by Jewish leaders, we find this response beginning in verse 25 and reading through verse 30. Jesus says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus very clearly told his disciples and told his critics that the reason why some accept the truth and the reason why some reject it is because some are from God and some are not. And as John reminds us back in 1 John chapter 4, the reason why we hold fast the truth is because we are of the truth. We've been given eyes to see, minds to understand, ears to hear. This was the promise of Christ and to draw us back to the overall discussion in 1 John 3 and 4, this is the preserving work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised it would happen and the Holy Spirit makes it happen. Again, turn back with me to 1 John chapter 3. And you see that preserving and ongoing work of the Spirit at hand. In 1 John chapter 3, describing our inevitable growth as believers. John says in chapter 3 verse 7, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Jumping ahead to our text today in 1 John chapter 4, again, verse 4, you are from God, little children, and overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The reason why we hold fast the truth, the reason why we cannot lose our salvation, the reason why we will inevitably grow, the reason why we can do all things that we're called to do is because of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. He brings you to life, believer. He causes you to grow. He preserves your soul from here through eternity. And so when you hear of these teachings that are coming into the world, And as you try to figure out, okay, is this the work of the Spirit or is this the work of the world, you can ask yourself, well, what is the church doing? How is the church responding? And this is not the only test we give for. Obviously, some believers can follow after false teachings at time, and for a season they can be deceived. But overall, we are promised that because God indwells us, because the Holy Spirit is promised to us and will preserve us, well, we ultimately will hold to this truth. The reason why so many others follow after it is then that they aren't of the truth. You see these people described again in verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. John spoke a truth that is just as true today as it was then. The reason why so many people left the early church in John's day is because, well, they heard a message that sounded a lot more attractive to them, and the reason why it was more attractive to them is because it was worldly and they were of the world. The same thing is at work today. You see this great winnowing in the church in our culture, don't you? More and more, every week, you hear of these deconversion stories if you read much online. And the world celebrates these stories as if these ex-evangelicals are these brave souls willing to leave behind a world of bigotry and a world of hatred. Well, why do those people leave the church and why does the world celebrate them? Well, both for the same reason. They were never of the truth. They're simply revealing their true colors. And so the moment things get difficult, the moment they are called to to profess something that makes them hated in the eyes of the world, well, suddenly it's not all that attractive. Suddenly it's not all that appealing. And so they skip out. 
And they're attracted to those things of the world. The Apostle Paul speaks to this much in 1 Corinthians. If you turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you see him make this point clear, both in terms of the world as well as in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, as Paul himself is also speaking of the role of the Spirit in preserving truth and guiding us in truth, says this, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here again we see this difference between the world and the church. The church has the Spirit of God indwelling him. That spirit proclaims the Christ of the word. That spirit proclaims the truth of the word. That spirit of God preserves the souls of believers. Thus the souls of believers are inclined to continue to follow after him. This is why we can be assured of the faith. The world, however, does not have the spirit of God. They have the spirit of the world. Therefore, eventually, the world will win out. Eventually, they will embrace that which is foolishness to us, but wisdom to them, just as we embrace that which is foolishness to them, but wisdom to us. But more importantly, it's the wisdom of God. This is such an important test to give and such an important question to ask. For again, we live in a world that is constantly changing, constantly shifting. And in the midst of the most tumultuous moments, as it seems people leave the churches in droves, it is tempting to to question our own faith and to wonder whether or not we are really on the right path. When we take a breath and step back and read the words of Jesus in John 10, Read the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. Read the words of John in 1 John chapter 4. We're reminded that this is nothing new, believer. This is the world in which we live. And so regardless of how convincing a false teacher might seem, regardless of how smooth their speech might be, we time and time again are are told to ask these simple questions of who is Christ and who ultimately are they attracting. The practice the implications of this discernment are drug out once more in that summary statement in 1 John 4, verse 6. Once again, as we look at that final verse, we read John's words as he says, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As John closes his discussion on what it means to be discerning, he once again brings us back to these core truths and what it looks like to practice discernment as believers. That practice begins with an identification of our authority, doesn't it? As John closes his explanation, he reminds us that that we are from God and he who, who is of God listens to us. John is not speaking of all of Christians, meaning we are all of God, therefore all people must listen to us. John here is appealing to his unique authority as an apostle of God. The we here is referring to all apostles. As such, John is echoing the teachings of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 when he speaks of that foundation of the church being built on the apostles and prophets. The reason why John's readers should pay careful attention to what John says versus what these random people out there are saying is because unlike those random people, John is an apostle. And John has an authority that none of those other figures have. John walked with Christ. John heard Jesus Christ himself speaking. John saw and dined with the resurrected Christ. Listen to John. We do not have apostles today. 
We do not have prophets today, but we have something just as effective. And no, I'm not talking about pastors. We have the Word of God. That is our unique authority. And as we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that Word of God is sufficient for everything. It is sufficient to remind us what the true gospel is. It's sufficient to remind us what it means to teach, what it means to correct, what it means to rebuke, what it means to build up and drive people down the path of righteousness. And so just as Jesus said when he spoke of the fact that a sheep hear his voice, so too today we hear the voice of Jesus through his inspired word. And so we who are of God listen to the inspired word of God and we model our lives after the teachings of that word. Those who reject it, reject it not because we are not convincing enough, they reject it because, again, they are not of God. And so, of course, the teachings of the Word of God are worthless to them. They are foolish. They are confusing. And as such, they ultimately, over time, will stray further and further from that righteous path. The message of John, then, and really the ultimate message of discernment, really does boil down to these simple, basic truths. It boils down to the fact that your obedience and your ability to understand the word does not stem from your own intellectual prowess. It stems from the fact that you're saved. You hear because you are saved. You obey because you are saved. And so as believers, daily, as we hear these teachings, these narratives thrown at us, the question, of course, is, well... Are we demonstrating that salvation? Are we demonstrating that unique role as children of God? Or are we proving ourselves to be of the world, following after whatever latest teaching is the most popular, whatever sounds most attractive, whatever feels most appealing to us? The calling here is essential and so important for us to understand. For those of you who are here who are unbelievers, Please do not think that John is speaking out of an arrogant spirit when he says he is from God and he who knows God listens to him. No, he, he's speaking the objective truth. An unbeliever, please hear me when I say that your salvation is not dependent upon you being the real you or you living out your truth. Your salvation is dependent upon your repentance of your sin and your trust in the holy risen Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from that faith, apart from that repentance, you are not saved. And you are headed to hell. And so I pray, unbeliever, that you might put your faith in that objective truth this morning, that you might hear clearly for the first time by the power of the Holy Spirit that basic gospel truth. If you have any questions of that, as always, I ask that you come up to me afterwards and find me in the lobby. I'd be happy to talk to you more about it. For my fellow believers, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the calling of John is just as equally important today as it was in his own day and so incredibly practical to us, is it not? For like the believers in John's day, we live in an incredibly confused age. And daily, you hear an endless list of, of conflicting beliefs, of conflicting narratives, both from devout unbelievers, but also people that profess faith in Jesus Christ. And you are left with that very difficult question to answer of, is this from the Spirit? Or is this foreign? Is this worldly? Well, in order to answer that question and avoid falling into those pitfalls of gullibility and cynicism, it's essential that you grow in this discernment. 
And so in that manner, we must pray that we truly grow in wisdom daily. Are you striving to grow in wisdom? Are you studying the word of God daily so that you will be able to recognize those key phrases as they come up, so that you'll be able to recognize that false doctrine as it arises? Pray for that wisdom. Grow in that wisdom. As we do this, though, let us also pray for humility. For oftentimes you will see with increased biblical knowledge, oftentimes there can also be increased arrogance. And this is where we get back to what I said earlier when discernment is so frequently misused and misapplied. There are countless people in our culture today that that run what they call discernment blogs. And oftentimes they're nothing more than just hate-filled slander intended to bring more division into the church. They do it in the name of discernment, but it's not discernment they practice. It's a heart of disunity. In his very helpful book, The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, Tim Challies discusses this tendency. And he speaks of the person who continually stirs up anger in the name of discernment, only stirs up anger and disagreement, and is committing an offense that the Lord hates. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the call to discernment is not a call to point out every minor offense that comes before your eyes. It's a serious call to defend the faith. And a serious call to spread the faith of Jesus Christ. And so let us pray for wisdom. Let us pray for humility as we grow in that wisdom. And let us daily truly practice discernment. Let us practice that wisdom that John commands here. So we will not be prone to believe every spirit nor reject everything. But that we'll be increasingly able to recognize that what is from God so that we can grow in our likeness of Christ. And as a result, we can grow in our obedience to him daily. That being said, let me close this in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. God, we live in a world that needs discernment just as much as it needed it in John's day. We as individuals need discernment, God. We live in a world that doesn't seem to understand what discernment means. And so, God, I pray for increased wisdom as we continue to test the spirits daily. God, might we be wise to not give in to false teaching? Might we be quick to identify who is true and who is false by what they say of Christ, what they say of the gospel? As we do this, might we do it with a spirit of gentleness and humility, recognizing that we are who we are purely as a result of your grace that is at work within us, recognizing we are nothing apart from the work of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. Holy Spirit, grow us in that wisdom. Cause us to be so enthralled by the gospel, so enthralled by Jesus Christ, that anything that falls short of it might be immediately identified as a cheap substitute, bitter to the taste. And as we practice the sermon, then might we be quick to not only defend the faith, but to spread it to those who are in desperate need of it. God, as always, I pray for those who do not know you. I pray for their salvation. God, we pray that you bring them to faith in you today. We love you, God. We know we are dependent upon you for all things. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray all these things, amen.